So anyway, Jamie, yeah, I spoke to a man called Ben Brom from the Netherlands. Go on. And he was heavily involved in the Gaia project. Get involved. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Uh, I've got a student called Malati Brown, who has a, a very good band, who have a single out at the moment on Spotify. It's a, a band called Mardis, so you should check that out. I'll put a link in the in our description. Her dad was in, heavily involved in the Gaia project. Wow. After speaking to him this morning, it, 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 essentially he was in charge of this one bit called the BAM, the B-A-M, which was this way of being able to uh, have this um, this picometer precision. Yeah. And no, no one thought it was possible. But basically, him and his team at TNO solved this problem, and uh, basically meant that Gaia was a go, was a go, 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 go. Well, I can't wait to hear it. It's really, really fascinating because it, it's uh, a lot about Gaia, but it's also a lot about what it takes to be an engineer in the uh, in the space sector. I think <laughs> having got into the Gaia mission just to talk about it with with Ben, I. I uh, I actually can't believe how genius it is. Yeah. So I thought we'd, uh, even though we've covered it before on the podcast, I thought we'd just do a quick rundown. Let's of some do some stats, pretty awesome, Some pretty awesome facts. So it, it replaces the Hipparchos mission, mm. uh, which ran from 1989 to 93, just basically mapping stars. Yeah. So astrometry, which is one of the sort of oldest forms of astronomy, which is basically working out the distance of stars and where they yeah. are. So the whole point, the whole point of the mission is to map stars. So the primary mission objectives is to measure the position and velocity of approximately, get this, one billion stars in our own galaxy. You did that with your little finger against your mouth, didn't you? I I totally did. Yeah. Just so you know, that's only 1% of the stars in the Milky Way. There's there's a few of them, isn't there? (laughs) And so Gaia observes 1 billion stars 70 times each over five years. So that's 40 million stars a day it's observing, right? (laughs) You're going to hurt my head again with this, (laughs) aren't you? And it slowly spins... And, and, and sort of takes a picture of all these stars. And, and, um, and basically, because it does it over five years and it has this absolutely insane precision, it can see how they've moved so that it can work out how far, A, from parallax error, how far away they are, but also how they're moving as well. I love so, that stat that it's only 1% of the stars populating Milky Way. Uh, yeah, it's is a billion. 1%. I know. And... Um, 99% of that 1 billion that Gaia will observe have never had their distances measured accurately before. Hmm. It's got the largest digital camera ever taken into space, so that's a billion-pixel camera. So your smartphone is good. about 10 million pixels. That's a 1 billion-pixel camera. That's pretty clear. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty ridiculous camera. Uh, and But this is the most amazing thing. So for objects that are 4,000 times fainter than the naked eye limit, in other words, stars that you couldn't possibly see, Gaia can measure their position to an accuracy of 20 micro arc seconds. Now, that is like looking at a human hair at a distance of a 1,000 kilometres. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's nuts. 
That it's absolutely insane. And uh, this is why they needed this Pico uh, precision. Uh, mm. You know, that, that it's uh, that's 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 twelve noughts of a meter. You know, that's 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 you know, a millimeter is three noughts past the decimal place. Twelve noughts past the decimal place is Pico precision, and um, uh, and yeah, so it has to be absolutely ludicrously robust the data but the data the data coming off Gaia is insane <laughs> obviously it's spinning around and taking billions of stars with all this data now the the data set is already 30 times bigger than the whole of wikipedia my god <laughs> Matt, you've made so, my nose bleed uh, it, it's absolutely insane isn't it so, but it's not just stars. It's not even just stars that it's picking up. It's getting their brightness and temperature and composition and all those sort of things as well, by yeah. the way. So eventually it'll create this three-dimensional map of the galaxy. And they've actually released the first colour 3D map of the galaxy very, very recently on Where August 16th. Where can people 16th. see that? Just go to the ESA website and go to the Gaia page because it's a fantastic uh, mission. There's some really brilliant bits. There's a... Uh, there's an article that's just come out about how this data set is so enormous they're having to use really, really novel methods to sort of go through and, and, and look at it. So uh, they've, they've used things like software that mimics the human brain, uh, and that's already found uh, six stars that are zipping from the centre of the galaxy right out to the outskirts at super high speeds and things like that. And so, you know, it's it's br- such a brilliant sight. But the brilliant a brilliant thing about it is it not only not only is it finding all these stars, it's mm. it's finding hundreds of thousands of asteroids and comets. So Debbie Lewis will be oh. will be happy about that. She's so, happy. Yeah, there'll be 7,000 planets beyond beyond our solar system. I don't know why they put beyond our solar system, because it's not like it's going to find 7,000 planets that we haven't noticed no. within our solar system. That that would be ridiculous. It's going to find tens of thousands of brown dwarfs, or failed stars as some people call them, 20,000 supernovae, what? and hundreds of thousands of distant active galaxies, quasars. So... I mean that's pretty cool, isn't it? And it's and it's even taken images of uh, the Triangulum Galaxy, for example, Messier Object Thirty Three, and and sh- and and, you, and it can pick out individual stars in other galaxies. That's how that's how absolutely insanely accurate this this little. Satellite well, I for is. one, Matt, I'm going to go on the ESA website and check that out as soon as this podcast finishes because yeah. I haven't seen that yet. You can even start looking up things like uh, uh type orbits around L2. So this thing is doing a kind of orbit around Lagrange point 2, which is the other side of Earth to the moon. No, to the sun. It's a sun-Earth-Lagrange point 2. Well, Matt, you know that that's the kind of stuff I do, but please don't advertise it on the podcast, you know? I'm trying to get some friends here. <laughs> you can get super geeky, or you can or you can just look at the pictures and go, wow, that's amazing. Exactly. You choose your own path. You can choose your own path. Beautiful. As Fleetwood Mac once sang. What a tune. More about the Gaia mission and more about the balm. Really fascinating stuff. I'm joined by Ben Brahm, who was an engineer on the Gaia space mission. 
Hi, Ben. Hi, Matt. <laughs> um, this, is, this is my first interview, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an amateur. So. As I'm an amateur interviewer, <laughs> so, so don't worry. Tell me a bit about yourself and, and how you got into space would be a really good place to start. Yeah, that, that is a very long story, but I will, I will do the short one. I was working at the Technical University in the early 80s. There were economically very difficult times in the Netherlands, so uh, I had to find another job. And, um, and there was a vacancy at TNO for a program which was called ISO uh, Short Wave Spectrometer. It's, it's a very well-known program in the context of uh, ESA. And uh, they needed a mechanical engineer for that. And uh, in my working times at the university, I had developed an uh, aluminum magnet. So everyone says that cannot be. It's it's possible, and and those systems are uh, available on the market nowadays for uh, separation uh, of uh, mostly aluminium from waste. Uh, so you could it, it's a, it's it's a rotating magnet system, and um, and you in, in, induce eddy currents in in uh, in, uh, in uh, aluminium, and then you. Shoot them out Whoa. with a very high, very high speed, and that, so that was was quite a spectacular result and a good basis for my solicitation at uh, at the TNO. So I was lucky. I I, I I I got in, and directly in the space program, and I had no idea about space, nothing at all. <laughs> And, uh, and also there were a lot of other things happening. It was a time of the uh, uh, computer-aided design systems which had to be used. Uh, uh, ESA was getting more professional. That means you had to make a finite animal model of everything that you had done and, and had to be tested. Uh, you needed to do uh, extensive calculations, thermal calculations, mechanical calculations. And uh, I just started that. <laughs> I had to, and, uh, and we, we, we built a shortwave spectrometer at TNO together with uh, uh, a, a group in the Netherlands called ESRON. They are uh, the, more the scientific part for the science programs for space in the Netherlands. And uh, that, so that was, and, and it was done in, in it was a block of aluminium, aluminium, and uh, there were uh, lenses and, and, and in it uh, in the system to have it as stable as possible. And because it was in the in the in the infrared, it could be di done directly by machining in the block of aluminium, which was. Uh, so that was really my first experience, a very successful program, launched, etc., etc., in orbit for many years. And really that was also a sort of start, because it, it had to be done by machining, you couldn't do things at a micrometer level. So, and what is a micrometer? Uh, you push against the wall and it goes, <laughs> it depends on where you are, a few micrometers. So that was really something... Uh, at that time, on, at the edge of was, what was technically possible. Yeah, that was a direct link. And then, of course, you had optics. And you know optics, yeah, you polish, you polish, you polish yeah, the last uh, atoms. And then you have a surface yeah, for your glasses so that can, can be used. But direct uh, uh, systems for making things at, 
at uh, uh, nanometer level, uh, which you need in optics, really didn't exist uh, at the moment. Also, shortly after uh, uh, the short wave spectrometer for ISO, I designed the grating box for XMM. And uh, I have done that in silicon carbide. I found a paper, uh, it was from an English guy, Chetwind or so, in precision engineering, and he had uh, uh, made a sort of scheme that you could uh, choose the best material for, for, for the system that you wanted to design. And it ended to be silicon carbide, and which was that, uh, uh, was a material, it existed. And it, later it was used extensively also in electronics and, and, and for many applications. But at that time it was very new. So I designed it, but uh, in the end uh, the, the program decided, because it was an ESA NASA program, that the grating box, you know, have any idea what the grating box is? You have the telescope, <coughs> mm -hmm. and the XMM is an, uh, a Röntgen telescope. Right. Eh? And then uh, the beams go to the grating box and then to the detector. And in the grating box, you get these angular separations uh, based on the, on the wavelengths of the, 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 the incoming uh, radiation. So I designed it, but uh, the decision was made that it should go to, to NASA. And uh, they did it at, I forgot, uh, Lawrence Livermore in the end. And I remember because I still had contacts uh, for questions by the people from, from ESA. And the first message uh, came back when the Americans started. Oh, those Europeans, they have made such a bad design. <laughs> How can you do it? And then, okay, they start to do their calculations. And, what and, and, and. and they ended up with a silicon carbide uh, grating box in the end. Because it was the only solution uh, that could be... Uh, could be really realized for such a system. So and I, I, I heard that many times. <laughs> so this is a really, a really fun uh, situation because I was, at that time, I was still an amateur. So I yeah. just started this space business and then you get in these things. And the next step um, was really uh, that I made in my career. Also for the, for the big line, I started engineering, but I grew more and more to business development. So, uh, and, and first time only engineering, then combining in the last 10, 15 years uh, mostly. So in the Gaia times, I was, I was really a business developer already, but heavily involved in the program, of course. But anyway, we made a, we made a, a step from um, uh, micrometers to nanometers in mechanical systems. And we had a program running, and it was then called, uh, it was for the Aristoteles mission. And it was late, later replaced by GOSE, and oh. it was Earth observation for, uh, for uh, gravity, uh, not for gravity waves detection, but for um, gra gravity measurements. Yeah. And in Aristoteles, uh, this uh, satellite needed to be calibrated, and it had to be done by shaking a uh, a, a mass of about a, a kilogram over six millimeters with a lateral deviation of 15 nanometers. And we couldn't handle, the people who were working on the program couldn't handle it. So I went to my boss and I said, uh, there was Roel Hoekstra at that time, 
quite a famous guy in the Netherlands. And I said, who? I will solve the problem. I had no idea how to do it. But anyway, I, I went to, uh, to people, talked to them, and how, what, what, what could be, who are the people really? Because something like that had never been done in the world. So you have to start from zero and really get the best people to do it. Yeah, because that is really the, the, the fun part. You can do this work only with the best people in the world. Otherwise, uh, you will never succeed. So you'll have to find them. And I ended up at, uh, at Rien Koster. He was uh, at, at that time a professor. He's, he's retired now for many years already. He was professor at the University of Twente in Enschede, the Netherlands. I don't know if you... It's in the east of the Netherlands. Yeah. Anyway, I ended up there and uh, talked to him. And uh, he said, okay, uh, we are going to solve the problem. Uh, but then uh, one of my students has to graduate uh, on this topic. Which you never do. If, such, the, the, if, you, if I think about it now, this is an entirely crazy step. You are not going to solve the most difficult problems with students. Eh? It is, uh, but, uh, okay, uh, Rien was, <laughs> was on the back. Rien was on the back, and, uh, and, and it worked out. We, we made a very special design, which is still going around in this world of mechanical engineering, because it's... Uh, Rien has made uh, a, a book with all his designs and uh, he's very good in describing them so they need a third of a page, half a page. This one needs six pages <laughs> to, to, to really understand how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was, uh, yeah, you had to move it and we had a very special arrangement of flexures to keep it along the linear track. And also, yeah, you have the gravity effects, you have all the problems <laughs> that you have yeah. on Earth, uh, 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 vibrations from, from uh, so that was really, uh, so that was a big step. And of course it was uh, very successful also. And uh, okay, we could uh, show it to the, to the world, so to say. It was a pity that the program was not continued. But then also, and then there was the, the next step, and we got to the picometer level, and that was in the, in, in the 90s. At that time, uh, I could go to Aztec uh, uh, like, like I wanted. I could get in, talk to people. Now it's much more difficult, it's much more stringent, organized. And, uh, so I knew a lot of people who were really at the core of the programs. Uh, like uh, and, and one of my favorites, because he was very open on everything and very much involved in many programs, was Philippe Roussel. He was a Frenchman, retired already. And uh, before Gaia, we, I did many uh, programs uh, with him, mostly in uh, space interferometry. For instance, we did the first uh, uh, optomechanical uh, uh, setups for interferometry in space. Mm. And we developed, I, I don't know if you are familiar with the, the, the Darwin program, which is not alive anymore. It no, stopped okay. in 2007, yeah. uh, but it was a, uh, a program with, with five uh, free-flying satellites for detecting exoplanets. And then the, everything had to be at nano-level uh, uh, mechanics again. And we did a lot of it uh, at those days. We, we made um, 
delay lines. Uh, I don't know what the delay line is, but the, anyway, the light comes from a star, goes to your detector, uh, and then it goes to several. Uh, 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 I need several directions. Eh? It goes to one a satellite, second satellite, but the light has to combine it again. Uh, so how do you do that? And yeah. you do that with a delay line. So we de developed the first delay lines at uh, just for a test setup to to demonstrate it could work. And also we developed delay lines uh, how they should work in space. And they are now going to use it in other programs because it's an existing te technology. So you use that for multiple satellites? For multiple satellite systems. Uh, because we, we also developed the delay lines for the the ESO VLTI, you know, the ESO program, that's the uh, European, Space, uh, European Space Observatory. Yeah. And they, mean, have yeah. Their, they have their, set, uh, uh, well, uh, I think it, uh, telescopes in uh, Paranal yeah. in Chile. The ones that discovered Trappist, the Trappist system. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we developed the delay lines and, and several systems also for the, for the ESO uh, VLTI. Anyway, I knew a, uh, those guys at Aztec, and one day I, I saw uh, uh, Philippe at, in the cafeteria in the restaurant, and he came to me and said, Ben, we have got something. It's called, they are going to call it Gaia, and it has to work at uh, picometer level. I said, okay, we are going to do it, because <laughs> that, that is my, my attitude. And um, so Pico, how many how many zeros after the? Yeah, twelve. Twelve. So that's yeah, it. twelve. So it's about a hundredth of a uh, atom diameter, something yeah. like that. Uh, so uh, that's, that's, that's small. So like I don't know. It was you. You can see a uh, a coin of five millimeter at the moon. Yeah. Uh, if you yeah. if if that would be an optical system. So anyway, Philip came to me in the in the restaurant and he said. Uh, and okay, the, 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 an, an ITT came out uh, here later or so, and, and uh, so we decided to make a proposal, as, because that is what TNO is for. We are supposed to do in the Netherlands the, the things that have not been done before, because that is you. So I wrote a proposal myself with others, of course. In this in this work, you always work with with ten. 20, 100 people, it depends of course on the size of the program and the length, but you work with a lot of people. I made a proposal with, with, with two colleagues, uh, uh, Bart Schneiders and uh, Peter Kapperhoff. And uh, when I started, I thought, okay, this is really crazy. This is not possible. But we started thinking about it. I got the inputs and at the end, okay, it's possible. Yeah, so and we made a proposal and we, and we won the contract, and uh, we demonstrated that you could really uh, uh, measure picometers in a, because that was in itself not so special because that was done for those uh, uh, gravity programs like LIGO and Virgo, uh, but not in a relatively simple setup that could be launched in space. Did that did that change the? Because the one thing that I did spot was that Gaia was an acronym. For a particular type of interferometry, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, and it no longer stands. They've just kept the name Gaia because they've actually changed the method of how Gaia actually works. Was it was it at that point that it changed? Or was no, it... no, no. It was this 
this uh, uh, concept of Gaia, it came from um, people I knew very well at what then was called Astrium in Toulouse. People like Frederic Safar, Bertrand Calvel, they were really geniuses, geniuses in, uh, in designing uh, satellite systems. And they uh, developed the concept of Gaia, but the possibility of measuring picometers was entirely open at that moment. So Isaac came out with his ITT, because that was the go-no-go uh, for the program. Okay, we, we started working on it, uh, we had all the confidence uh, that, that it would work, and it did work. Also, a relatively simple system, only we had to do things otherwise. Eh? We had made the normally, and normally you have a vacuum chamber where you put your system in, and it's a sort of cylinder type of system. And we had to make a square box where we could uh, lift off one uh, side eh, with special tools, because it was extremely heavy. And, 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 and uh, vibration reduction system specially designed, etc., etc. Et yeah. And also, and, and we had to do it like that because the, the taking off, because the, the, the alignment of the optical elements was very delicate. Uh, so people had to be free moving. If you are in a cylinder and you go in, yeah. you can understand that it's, that it's not so easy. So we had to do very uh, a lot of uh, new developments. And we were successful, we could measure it, demonstrated it. So at that moment we were very popular because it was the go for the, the Gaia program and we came for a final presentation to Aztec, which is not far from us. So but, uh, can I, it, just to put it in context, so the reason why you had to have this level of accuracy, this picometer accuracy, is that Gaia is mapping stars using the parallax. Yes. Yes. Uh, and obviously when objects are a very long way away, they don't move very much. No. <laughs> so you have to kind of have something that's incredibly accurate. I, I heard that it was it could measure the width of a human hair from a thousand kilometres. Okay. Yes. I mean, yeah, that, is... that for me just blows yeah. my... <laughs> yeah. It's just mind-blowing. Um, so... um, but the point is the, 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 the satellite system has to be stable at picometer level. Yeah. That is the difficult part. And what we did, that is really a metrology system that can measure the stability. So, and if you can measure the stability, uh, then you can correct uh, for, for, for errors. Mm. Uh, because a satellite system is not completely uh, uh, stable because you have outgassing, you have the sun heat up, and yeah. you have to cool down. You have, it's extremely difficult to so make it stable. So the real skill in there is is the is the way that it, it's always calibrating, it's always yeah. looking at itself yeah. and then self-correcting. Yeah. So yeah. that that's the that that's really the mechanism that's that's yeah. going on, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. That that's the part that the it's it's a metrology system as we call it, which monitors the, the stability and then you can correct the data for the that you go yeah. get down on the earth after after the measurements and that, that's a lot of data isn't it i mean yeah, the, the, yeah, the yeah. data that comes off gaia just seems to be yeah. uh, like <laughs> yeah that's a that, ton of data yeah yeah that's that's organized now uh, by a lot of people in europe but the main players are in leiden they are from the leiden observatory and i over the years i knew those guys very well anthony brown is now in charge of uh, the, the data handling of the mm. of the 
So this no-go, uh, uh, let's-go situation, what sort of year were we talking about then? About uh, 1999, 2000 or so, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it took off. When, when, did, the, when, was, when did Gaia take off? As, as a, as a, 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 for the mission design, oh, the, 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 the launch in 2013. Right, okay. It was December 2013. Did you go to the launch? Or? Yes, yeah, yeah, at Aztec. At <laughs> but there was, a big, there was really a big happening there. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, and that yeah, that's amazing because yeah you at those moments you walk uh, one meter above the yeah. uh, the, the <laughs> normal floor level because yeah you have contributed something very special yeah. uh, to the program and if you look at uh, the the websites of of ESA then you get an impression of how important the the BAM that you call it the basic angle monitoring yeah. system. Uh, was for the program because when it was delivered to ESA, you see especially photos made and uh, things like that. Yeah. So yeah, so that the, the the system that you developed this this self-correcting thing is called the BAM. The BAM, the, Basic yeah. Angle Monitoring System. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that yeah, so that's obviously <laughs> that's a pretty uh, is is it something that is going to be used on other satellites or is it was was it purely jet, uh, made for that kind of or variations of it or is it 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 was purely made for 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 gaia but what what you have done you have have made a step in 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 technology and now it's possible to make the system also for other applications Uh, because uh, you see people want more and more special special so because the, the, the development of the of the bomb of we, we did that first program uh, which was called uh, I don't know the name OPD test bench but the bomb itself it was an, a huge program for for TNO with many people uh, and we had to make so many technology steps uh, to do that we had to learn to polish silicon carbide mirrors uh, for in a very special shape and if you have uh, a, Silicon carbide is very fragile. If you do this, it breaks. So you have to make a very complex camera system, automechanical system, of very uh, 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 fragile material. The only thing that you can do is put pressure on it. And that's practically infinite, doesn't exist. But uh, you can... So joining uh, uh, the different components... It's possible, it's possible, yeah. but still very difficult because uh, you, you, you have seen an impression of the bench. There are many components on it, glass components, silicon carbide components. Uh, you, you need to inject a laser in it. So what was, was the main worry with the vibrations of launch? Is that, is that really the hard thing to overcome or is it more the calibration in space? Is, is, the, 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 both hard. Yeah, the, the hardest in the in the program was was, was not the the, the the vibration, was really developing all those elements to to make the system complete, because you you had to uh, uh, implement a, a glass component on this optical bench and still maintain this this picometer stability. How, that's never been done. How yeah. are you going to do that? Yeah. Yeah, so we had to invent new schemes of design, optical mechanical to do that. 
also we had to uh, uh, join components and we needed special uh, uh, screws where you could tune the torque that you induce in the uh, in the material that you know what you are doing and then the alignment was very difficult because you have to put an, an, an optical element in a certain position and you could only do it with uh, silicon carbide shims uh, so you have to put a material between it which is exactly of the, the good shape that you need yeah. uh, to put the things together so and and of course a lot of it you knew in advance but most of it uh, came on a lot of it came on doing the work that's that is uh, and that that was very challenging and i think that is the, the, the people who that have worked on it they were really amazing they were really it was really a part of their life uh, so, for, yeah. for a year. Uh, they did nothing else. Uh, so at TNO, how many people were working on the on the BAM? Uh, at at really at at uh, six six people full time. Uh, but then you had a lot of other people like uh, quality uh, management, uh, project yeah. management. So, but six serious engineers and they, some, yeah. they really were the core of the, the team. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's amazing, isn't it? Particularly, you know, it's it's something that goes unnoticed. I think with, you know, ESA, in particular, have got some amazing satellites out up in yeah. up in space. You know, on on orbit and and, and all these bizarre. I mean, yeah, because Gaia itself is in a is is in a orbit. I can't remember the name L2. of it now. L2. Yeah, L2. it's it's L two, but it's doing what's the name of it? It's got a certain yeah, type of right. orbit around L two, yeah, but it's yeah. it, yeah. it's these have got all these different craft and the, yeah. and the effort and the, all the technology that yeah. goes into making these things is yeah. absolutely incredible. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, because we don't hear much about Gaia, even though it's a European project. You'd think yeah. we'd hear because yeah. it's the that the first lot of data with the they, they, has they been are released, yeah. but the, the 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 next data release I I, I looked I think it's in April t 2018, right. uh, because they have to do so much uh, work calculations uh, yeah. uh, before you cannot just release the data. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. it's it's generated something like thirty times the size of Wikipedia in data yeah, at the moment. Yeah. So, and that's including yeah. all images and everything else. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that, that that's a lot of data to get through. So, I mean, presumably that's one of the hardest parts of the project is actually the yes, the yes. crunching of the yeah. crunching of the data. Yes, certainly, yes. There was one thing that, that does interest me is, the whole, is that whole personal voyage of being involved in a space yeah. project. Because yeah. these space projects last a long time. There's a yeah. lot of build-up yeah. to them, like you yeah. said. Yeah. That guy was already on the table, and you got involved in 1999. It doesn't launch till 2013, and then yeah. it's and then it's going to be another 10 years till we see the the, the yeah. work finished. Yeah. So these things are lifetime projects. So, it can you give us a bit of insight into, you know, how that feels to be part of these projects that last a yeah. long time? Yeah, yeah. For me, because I I, I was uh, uh, last 15, I was also a business developer, so I was. Involved in, in many projects, Darwin, ESO programs. I did all the work for Tino, Gaia, of course, many, many more. So for me personally, it was not so special because there were there was so so much to do. Yeah. And also for Tino, it's it's quite we the the group of people that I was in. We always did really long term programs. Also for uh, ASML, wafer stepping technology, which 
it's also about nanometers and uh, and and uh, below. So we had, we had an organization who was quite used to that approach in in programs. So it was for for us it was not not so special. But I can imagine if you are a scientist and you have an uh, an, an instrument developed and uh, you have students coming in and going out and how to keep it alive at a university I think that is much more difficult and you because it goes really beyond uh, uh, your normal practice as a professor at a university uh, you have yeah you have a, a position of education but i've met i've met many of those people and they yeah uh, it seemed for them, as, as I looked at it, quite normal yeah. so, so, uh, yeah. to, be, yeah, to yeah. behave in that, uh, in, in that area. And may, maybe the, the, the last story then, it's um, uh, about Kaya. It was launched in 2013, December, and then it had a very long commissioning time. And it also had to do that there were a lot of effects, a lot of effects were not well enough understood. And it had to do with heating, cold down. Mm. Uh, they start, then people start to blame. Yeah? <laughs> and the problem was with the bomb system. That is, was the general opinion, especially yeah. at, uh, at Matra, which is now Airbus. The, the bomb system is jeopardizing. Uh, but then, uh, at a certain moment, someone at Estic said, okay, but let's assume that the bomb is working good. Yeah. And the rest is not so good as it is supposed to work. And then everything fell, fell in place, eh? because it was... Uh, and then uh, all the data were uh, understood, and, and uh, so the whole program changed. And I was already retired, but I got a phone call. People of Aztec are coming to TNO for a celebration that BOM has saved uh, the Gaia program. So that was really... <laughs> yeah, was that, so that's before it launched. No, no, oh, no, no. It was after so, launch. After, so after launch, they they had some problems and they yeah. wondered what was causing it. Yeah, exactly. was that the, the the escaping light problem or the yeah, stray, there were, some stray yeah, light? Stray problems. light. There were many. There were many problems. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so so that that's look, BAM was for saving the program yeah. Yeah, because it was for correcting errors in the system. So it really did do that, and also yeah. in the end worked much better than uh, than everybody thought, because it went in. It had to work at I think 50 picometers, but it worked at uh, 0.3 picometers or so, something like that. Is uh, so people from Estec, Dominic Doyle and others, they came specially to TNO and uh, they invited me and. Uh, and after that, there were two more celebrations for the successes. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that sounds like it's. Uh, yeah. Everyone was pretty happy then. Yeah. Everyone so, was. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You're like a, eh, a little boy who, <laughs> who scored a goal in, uh, yeah. in football. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it certainly seems like a really, really important mission. I mean, it's it's it it, it's, it seems to have like the, the, this kind of. Not just as it mapping stars, but it's mapping quasars and asteroids yeah, yeah. and even and, exoplanets as well. Yeah, it? So okay. it, also, and, 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 and who knows what else will be discovered there? Eh? Yeah. Because if you know, eh, it measures the position of stars, so you know how, you know how they move during the, the time of observation. But also you can calculate back where it came from. Yeah. 
it's even managed to sort of capture things like the Triangulum Galaxy and, and mm. pinpoint stars yeah. in another yeah. galaxy, yeah. which I think is pretty, it's pretty yeah, incredible yeah. stuff. Yeah, the, the scientists. They have, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this, this is a work of, of a big group of people. Yeah. We had we had many uh, technology development programs. We had uh, connections with the Technical University in Eindhoven and. So many thong, things were done in preparation yeah. and working together and coming up with new... Uh, and then you had to find a supplier who could this and then... Yeah. So there's so much to do. Yeah, yeah it's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank You're you very welcome. much. That's, that's, that's perfect. The Interplanetary Podcast. Putting, Putting the, the ace back into space. space. Just as the last thing on the podcast, Jamie, that we should really talk yeah. about, because it was a big thing, wasn't it? Let's face it. Was uh, the American eclipse. Ah, oh, the solar eclipse. Do you know what was really annoying about the solar eclipse, other than the fact that I didn't get to see it, which was pretty yeah, pretty annoying, on. was how rubbish the, the, the BBC coverage of it was. Yeah, really not good, was it? Well, the amount of times they sort of, like the news headline, the first total eclipse in 100 years, it's like, are you having a laugh? Yeah, that's a joke. <laughs> it's like, I know it's not because there was one in Britain like 20, no, not even yeah. like 10 years ago. It's like, for goodness exactly. sake. So it was just, yeah, it was a bit crazy. It was just really annoying me. What they actually meant to say was it, it was the first one that went through the whole of America. So that it went coast to coast. And that's the first time that's happened for a very long time. You know what? I think it was really nice that it was America because they've been having a bit of a hard time <laughs> yeah. of late, haven't they? It's a little bit of light relief oh, for them. Oh, my word. Did you see uh, Trump going out to look at the eclipse? I did. You know what? <laughs> as much of a buffoon as, as he absolutely is, <laughs> you, you know that there was a camera guy just waiting for the moment he took off his glasses, which he was wearing. Um, but the second he looked, it was like, oh, you idiot. And surely he must know now oh. that he can't put a foot wrong. No. Just... Or he's going to get eaten up. And I'm all for that. Because oh, he is an idiot. So everyone, everyone in the, in, in the whole of the USA could see a, at least a partial eclipse. So it's the mo- did you see the one from the air? Somebody took from the air. Oh yeah, the the, the ones from Beautiful. the ones from the plane. Yeah, absolutely yeah, incredible. Really lovely. I love the fact that it, you could see the shadow going from either side of the uh, of the plane. It was really yeah. amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, incredible. Yeah, that incredible scenes. Yeah, I, th- there was an. Art- when, when's the next one, Matt? We I really want to go to one. Well, well, there's another um, great American eclipse, sort of going slightly the other way um, in 24. So it might be worth going over and and, and checking that out. We should do that. So, yeah, it's sort of going to come hot on the heels. And there's one place, and I can't remember where it is, that gets it twice, essentially totality twice in in, uh, this time round and in 24. Uh, But this one goes on a slightly different route. Um, When's the next one in the UK? Can we predict that? Oh, I don't know. It is definitely predictable, but I don't know when it is. I don't know when it is. It's a long time away. I don't think it's in our lifetime, in fact. Well, you know who we should ask, Matt, don't you? Who? Our avid listeners. Yes. Oh, my gosh, this is becoming the theme of the show. I tell you what, what the amount of homework people have got, <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I tell you what, if you, I'd really like to hear your Eclipse stories as well. Yeah, please do, because we had some of our podcast buddies send us in uh, pictures of them, you know, all hanging out in their glasses. We were a bit jealous, weren't we, Matt? Oh, jealousy doesn't really... Jealousy actually doesn't really 
cover it, to be honest. Whilst we were happy for them, we were also very annoyed. Yeah, weren't we? yeah. So I've been listening to obviously uh, uh, some of the other podcasters, all of the podcasters that are talking about it, and it, and it's and it's. It's like when your mates go away to the Caribbean it is. and you're stuck in Grimsby in a rainy <laughs> office or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, and 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 you can tell by their little enthusiastic voices that that it it really was essentially almost a life changing um, event. It was. It's pretty spiritual. Yeah. So not not while we've been away, it has been a pretty exciting um, time in space launching as well. It has. We've had quite. We've we've had one that we've never. I've never. We've never had on the show before. Quite recently, called the Minotaur, the Minotaur, Minotaur Four. Yeah, that that flew from Cape Canaveral the other day. In now, fact, am I right in thinking a Minotaur is the head of a man, head of uh, a bull, bull, mm-hmm. and the body of a stag? Is it? Oh, I don't. Not a stag. A donkey, horse, horse bull, <laughs> horse bull type man. Horse bull, donkey stag. <laughs> <laughs> it's something like that but in this case it wasn't one of those jamie it was actually a rocket Blimey. yeah but you don't often see that one do you and uh no, you really don't and we had where was that from that was from cape canaveral in florida matt i've just looked up what a minotaur is mm-hmm. in greek mythology the minotaur was a creature with the head of a bull yeah and the body of a man or as described by the roman poet ovid of being part man, and what do you think it is, Matt? Stag with hooves. No, part man and part bull. Oh, so uh, there we go. That's it. Part man, part bull. Minotaur. I thought it was. Uh, Aren't you part man? I thought it part was the bull. thing in the. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, only when uh, I see a red rag. Uh, it's well. This this podcast feels a little bit like part man, part bull. Sometimes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, it doesn't really. There's a lot of bull. There's a lot of fact check. A lot of fact checking in the editing process. T- let me tell you, Jamie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So and <laughs> and uh, SpaceX managed to do uh, yet another um, a Falcon Nine launch that landed successfully. Ticking him off, isn't it? No. So that that I think has over- now he's overtaken uh, Russia. Because we were worried for a while last year, weren't we, about old Musk and. Just a series of failures. Yeah, and uh, now, now, and and he, and also there was the uh, other SpaceX launch, with the, which was a resupply mission to the ISS. Uh, that was uh, back in back in early August or mid August, actually. I mean, there's been loads. There's been there's been an Atlas V. There's been uh, a, the Japanese H two A. There's been the Vega rockets gone up. A Soyuz has gone up, and you know it's just been never ending. Never-ending uh, rockets, and I have to say, uh, September is looking extremely busy. It's looking busy, is it? Yeah. Matt, did you see Elon Musk's Hyperloop video this morning? No, I didn't see Elon Musk's Hyperloop video this Go morning. Go to his Instagram page and check it out. 200 miles an hour underneath Los Angeles that's being built. I'm super dubious about Hyperloop. Why? It's because... Have you ever seen those um, those YouTube videos called? Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, by Thunderfoot, Hyperloop debunked. You should watch it. Oh really? Mm. Mm-hmm. I'll have to check them out. I'm not aware of them. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you again about space and, and bull.